We're going to spend some time in God's Word now. Uh, please make sure you have your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. I'll pray. Please join me. Loving Father, we thank you that we can gather as brothers and sisters in Christ with our Bibles open. We pray that you would indeed speak to our hearts and minds during this time as we share God's word together. Grow us in Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the kingdom of God was a major, major subject in the ministry of Jesus, uh, particularly in his teaching. Uh, even from the very beginning of his earthly ministry. His first words in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 15, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God was a major, major subject in Jesus' teaching, even from the very beginning of his earthly ministry. His first words in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 15, he said, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. Because Jesus himself turned up, it means that God's kingdom is at hand. In the very midst of his listeners, Jesus was inaugurating God's kingdom which means he's launching it. It begins. He's going to get it going. The curtains are going to be pulled back. It's about to take off. It's inaugurated. But how do we know that Jesus has the authority to bring in the kingdom? We see that in two ways. One way was the miracles of Jesus. The second way was his teaching. He taught like they'd never, ever heard before. Uh, according to the crowds. And as we look at his teaching, which took many forms, one of the main ones was parables. And so today marks the beginning of our preaching series through some of these parables. And what is the subject of the parables? It's the kingdom of God. Or if you're in Matthew's Gospel the kingdom of heaven. Every parable reveals something about the nature of God's kingdom. And today, Jesus uses a mustard seed and he uses leaven or yeast. He takes us from the garden into the kitchen. Let's look at verse 31 of Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Question, what is the kingdom of God like? Answer, it's like the smallest of seeds that becomes the largest of garden plants. Now, that's not hard to grasp, is it? Do we see that it starts off tiny and minuscule, insignificant, easily set aside, but it grows into something most, most, most impressive? And this is what the kingdom of God is like. 
It's beginning, its inauguration is, well, it's small, it's modest. It's like a shoot from a stump, right? Yet its realisation, its fulfilment, its consummation, well, that's magnificent. We see here one of the smallest seeds in Palestine grows to be a large shrub, maybe six Ten feet tall, apparently. It grows, this tiny, tiny seed grows to be something birds are happy to perch in. It goes from something that birds eat to something that birds find their rest in. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's interesting because back in the Old Testament, When Israel were in exile and Babylon took them captive, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had Daniel serve in his court. The king had a dream about a tree that grew so large the birds were happy to perch in it. But in the dream, the tree gets chopped down. Daniel is called and said, hey, you need to interpret this dream, please. And Daniel said, "Uh, uh, King, uh, (laughs) you're that tree. You, You are great and you are strong. That's the good news. And your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. But uh, you're the tree that gets cut down. Uh, Actually, it gets worse than that, King, because you'll end up being driven away and you'll graze in the fields like a brute beast. That's going to be you, king. Until such a time as the king of Babylon declares the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth, until such a time as he repents and turns to the one true living God, all of this will happen. And it did. When we kick the ball further down the field into the book of Revelation, we know that all the kingdoms of the earth will collapse. Whether it's Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, which it did, or Alexander the Great, which it did, or Caesar's, Rome, which it did, or Napoleon's kingdom, or the Ottoman Empire, or Lenin, or Hanover, or Stuart, or... Do we see... That the kingdom Jesus brings in, God's kingdom is different, is a growing kingdom and it is an everlasting kingdom. Was its inauguration, was its beginning significant? Baby in a manger, anyone? Put to bed in a food trough? Carpenter's son from Galilee? Uh, A backwater, walking around the place, teaching and doing miracles, sure, but ultimately rejected and in the end executed in a shameful, shameful, disgraceful death. Wasn't the inauguration obscure and weak and shameful? And this Jesus having died and buried, well, like the plant seed, 
something amazing happened. Like a, a seed planted in the ground that breaks soil, we see Jesus break the soil, don't we, through his resurrection. Entombed in the ground, yet rises again. Breaks the soil, Jesus does, as he rises again. What a picture. And as Jesus rises again, the church is born. And the church grows and it explodes. God's kingdom grows and it will keep growing until it reaches its final glorious form. Do you see it? That's the picture Jesus is communicating here. God's kingdom will grow and it will keep growing until it reaches its final glorious form. Now, if you don't quite get that, come with me as we look. We move out of the garden. Let's come into the kitchen now because Jesus is going to use a picture from the kitchen to communicate the same idea, I think, about the kingdom of God. Verse 33. Can you see it there? He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds. That's 27 kilos, right? of flour until it worked through all the dough. She must be having a serious party. Uh, she's going to feed a lot of people with this. And some people insist that the leaven is actually, it's evil. It's a symbol of evil and uh, uncleanness to the Jews. Uh, and some, it's true, some rabbis did think that. Uh, biblically, this leaven, yeast, gets a bad rap. Uh, remember, Jesus warns against the leaven of the Pharisees. Or Paul will contrast the leaven of malice and evil with that which is true. But sometimes, you know, leaven is just leaven. Yeast is just yeast. Let me prove that. Leviticus chapter 7, verse 13. Israel were to make a fellowship offering to God thick loaves of bread made with yeast. There it is. And here, same deal. The kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like yeast that a woman takes and, he, and mixes into the flour, 60 pounds of it, until it's worked through all, all through the dough. And so what does this teach us about the kingdom of God? Same thing. Starts off small, grows to be something big. Tiny bit of yeast is going to impact the entire batch of dough. You only need a little bit. And it's going to rise the dough and it's going to expand. And it's, this, this bread's going to feed hundreds of people. Its beginning, its inauguration is small. But it works quietly, this yeast. There's a hiddenness there that becomes all pervasive and transformational in a way that the dough is never, ever, ever, ever the same. And it's realisation, isn't it? It's fulfilment, it's consummation is magnificent. My Tanya's been making sourdough. That's one of the joys of COVID, if there are any. Uh, she's been baking a lot. And now I see this miracle most weekends. She'll do a loaf with hazelnuts and uh, sultanas in it and another one that's just plain but 
both are sensational. Uh, during the week, there's a small batch of this flowery, gooey paste that lies around the kitchen. And you know, I think I've asked her, is there actually bacteria growing in there? Is that thing alive that's under the, the, clear, the clear film? Uh, she calls it her sourdough starter. It's got the natural yeast in it. But then when she adds that to the dough and when it gets mixed together, put in the oven, boom, come Sunday morning, it's a miracle. There's this abundance of warm, uh, beautiful bread, uh, which I'm probably enjoying right now as you watch and listen to this. That's probably true. Uh, sorry you're not around to share it. Uh, but it is, it's miraculous. It's yummy. And it is so good, this bread barely makes it to Monday. But here's the point. The natural yeast works through the dough and it rises, it expands and it grows. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's beginning. It's small and it's obscure and it's easily set aside. It's like, oh, what is that? Yet its realisation, its fulfilment, its consummation is magnificent. Which means that God's kingdom is a kingdom that grows. It is dynamic. Between the first appearing of Jesus, the inauguration, the beginning, and his return, what we call the consummation, the, the realisation of everything at the end of world history, God's kingdom is one that grows. I mean, think again about the beginning. Jesus says it's here, the kingdom of God is near, yet there the disciples experience doubt and uncertainty and many, many questions. And then to cap it all off, this leader, Jesus, he goes and dies. He's dead. It's got all the marks of being weak and shameful and obscure and even embarrassing. But it's this weak beginning, think about this, it's this humble beginning that provides the room for us to see God's magnificent power. As Jesus rises again, as he ascends, as the gospel goes out, as Christ's spirit-filled church grows, and God's kingdom unexpectedly goes gangbusters. And that's the way church history has played out, isn't it? Since Jesus spoke these parables, the mustard seed has been planted, it has taken root, it has blossomed. The leavened bread has expanded exponentially. And those who opposed Jesus and his followers after his ascension, they tried to squash the infant church and they tried, down to, tried to chop down the tree, didn't they, before it went beyond Jerusalem, yet their attempts were futile. In fact, the more they chopped, the more the tree grew. And Stephen's martyrdom is an example. We heard that read out for us in the book of Acts. After that event, the gospel went beyond Jerusalem. 
into Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so the history of Christ's church is the fulfilment of Jesus' promise that not even the gates of hell would prevail against his church. Matthew 16, verse 18. Here it is. See, do you think Christ's church is in jeopardy and under threat? Do you think COVID-19 or tensions in China or economic uncertainty somehow put Christ's church at risk? Do you think that? When you think of the church, is your mind limited to what you see happening only in the West, such that such that you're blind to all of Christendom the world over, in the East, in Africa, in other places where the gospel goes forth with power. Do we need to come back again to the book of Revelation for another visual glimpse of our risen King and Saviour Jesus? We're reminded of his power and his authority and his sovereignty over all things. There is nothing that lies outside the scope of Jesus' power. Do you believe that? Do you trust him with that? He's got all things in his hands, including you and your circumstance, whatever they are, your ministry, whatever it is. It ultimately belongs to Jesus. And he's got it. See, as kingdom people, are we people that are growing in Christ Jesus? Are we growing in our commitment to prayer? Has COVID-19 pushed us down on our knees so that we're praying to Jesus more? How about our commitment to the scriptures? Are we seeking to grow in our knowledge of God's word? And as we do that, we're growing in our love for Jesus. Is the Holy Spirit growing us and transforming us? Are we growing in Christ? That's the question. Are we trusting him and hopeful of his return when Jesus brings in his kingdom, when the kingdom comes fully and finally? See, in the meantime, until the kingdom finally does come, we need to remember whose kingdom we belong to. It's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, we're reminded that his kingdom is a kingdom that can never be shaken. That's a great comforting promise, isn't it? Or in Matthew 25 or Mark 14, we're reminded that when Christ returns... To finally bring in the kingdom, no one will be able to deny its glory. Which means it will be vindicated. The one who took on flesh and was born at the back of a pub in a shed. Humble beginnings, remember. He's going to return in splendour and in judgement to bring his kingdom in. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 reminds us of a time when we will look and see him coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the people on the earth will mourn because of it. So shall it be. 
And then when we come to the end of the book of Revelation, we're reminded that finally, as Jesus brings in his kingdom, it will finally, the dwelling place of God will be with us. Revelation 21 verse 3 describes it like this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and and he will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come.